You may have a seat. Well, hi, my name is David Burleson. As uh, was said before, if you didn't hear before, I lead music here. Uh, my wife, Anna, while volunteers in base camp, leads one of our foster support teams. You might have seen her around. I've also got two wonderful children there. They are right there. Uh, Jonah's nine, Lydia's five. And I, I just want to say today, as I've been given the privilege of giving this message, that, that uh, I've really kind of grown up in this place. I've, I'm 36 years old now, emphasis on the old. And in, in March, I will have been working here 10 years. It's just kind of crazy to me. It's like surreal. And, and I wanted to be sure to say that, that this place means, has meant and means, continues to mean so much to my family. Um, and in that amount of time working at one place, you, you can have ups and downs in an organization. You have staff changes. And, and we've been through a lot. But um, when I think of Summit Waterford after all of this, I just, I just think of an extension of my own family. And uh, if you didn't know, I've actually, I'm actually the longest-running staff member at Summit Waterford. See, Gary hired me, but then he went to plant the Lake Mary campus. So uh, he was gone for like five years and then came back. So I, I feel like I have him on a technicality. You know, I'm, I'm the senior member of... Uh, <laughs> senior staff member, anyway. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Uh, I'm sure he'll be glad to hear this on the recording. Um, <laughs> now, while at Summit, I split time between worship and student ministry for a couple years. I led a brief attempt at college ministry or college Bible study. I spent two years coordinating jail services in the 33rd Street Jail Campus. I led worship for camps. And even um, I've even been in some of the base camp productions, like with the Fringe Festival. I'm usually some kind of evil villain. It's just a skill I have. I can make this face. Yep, sorry. Don't want to scare anybody. Um, it's one of the things I can do, one of my cool skills. Uh, but if you're not sure if you've seen me in any of those places, you've probably seen me standing literally right there for like the whole year. Uh, so uh, anyway, today I get to do something different, something new. It's a rarity around these parts. I've done all of the things, but I get to preach from the big boy stand today. We're going to see how it goes. You're all guinea pigs. Um, first service, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, before I get too far into this, it is the last service of the year, as, as Gerald said. And I, I just wanted to be sure to ask, and I really want to know, how many people have already thought about some resolutions for the next year? Okay, we got some people. This is not one of those rhetorical questions. If I ask a question today, it's not like Gary's rhetorical questions. I really want to know you're with me. I need you. Um, we're going to get through it together. Uh, but I wanted to share a quick story about sort of a resolution. You know, I'm, I'm so all over the place. It probably didn't happen right at the beginning of the year. It was like February last year. But uh, I got to go to Tokyo, of all places. And my reason for going to Tokyo last year was because uh, we were going to support my mother-in-law, who I know it's like a really cool thing now, everybody's running, but my mother-in-law is in her 50s and she just started, she never did anything like this, and all of a sudden, like over like a five year span now, she's doing full marathons and she's trying to do all the international marathons. Um, it's just, yeah, it's an amazing thing. And we were like, we have to go. This is like a once in a lifetime opportunity. 
Um, so, the, oh yeah, yeah, the picture up there, she looks great. She did awesome. She made it, and it was in the rain in Tokyo. I mean, she's done a bunch of them now, but uh, she was just doing awesome. And all I did was eat sushi and yakitori skewers, and, and, <laughs> and I got to watch her, and that was awesome. But when we got home, I'm like, honey, I gotta do something. I was obviously inspired by my mother-in-law, I've got to do something. I mean, she's kicking butt at life, and all I do is eat sushi and yakitori skewers. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to try keto. You guys know what keto is? I have some friends who did really well on keto. I knew nothing about it. I just was like, I'm doing the keto. And, uh, and uh, I, I knew you, you were just supposed to eat meat and a little bit of greens, no carbs. It's, pretty, it's a pretty drastic diet. Um, but simultaneously, I thought I'd, you know, one up and I'd start a whole new exercise routine at the same time. And that, my friends, is where I went wrong. Because if you don't know, keto is such a drastic shock to the system. They tell you not to introduce exercise right away. And especially somebody like me who's coming from doing nothing correctly. Uh, <laughs> it was too much. So... Uh, what started happening to me is about three weeks in, I lost a little weight. I, did, I was doing okay. And uh, I started to get symptoms like I'm sick and I got a runny nose, a scratchy throat. I could barely sing. That was a problem for me. And, uh, and I didn't know what was wrong. I didn't know what it was coming from. I thought I might be sick. Um, the other thing that started happening is I started having mood swings. And I'm not a very angry person, I don't think. Uh, but this wasn't anger. This was hanger. Yeah, you've all experienced this at some point. Yeah. So uh, I was eating heavy stuff all the time. And, and my stomach was feeling satisfied. But this was something different. There was, it was like my brain was starving, even though my stomach felt full. So one Sunday night, I get home from leading worship in the jail. Before that, I did the two services here. I didn't have time for lunch. I got home and there was nothing I could eat. It was just bread stacked to the ceiling. <laughs> I don't know what the deal. But uh, I just start, I start pacing around the house because I live over in like, no, no, you can walk to a, a graffiti junction over there. I knew I could go get wings, but I was sick of wings. So I'm pacing back and forth in the house. I'm huffing and puffing. I'm rubbing through the cabinets like a grizzly bear at an abandoned campsite. And uh, I'm scaring the kids. And finally, my wife comes over to me and puts it as tenderly and as nicely, as caring as a loving spouse could. She says, you have to quit this diet, like now. So all that to say, making goals, setting, setting goals, making resolutions is a good thing. But it's good to think it through, do your research you know, before, you, before you get too far into it. Um, so being that I'm the worship guy, and it is almost a new year. What I really want to do today is talk about how we approach our worship and how we will approach our worship going into 2020. And what better way to do that uh, than talking about Moses and the burning bush? Am I right? That's what all comes to all your minds? Yeah? Uh, <laughs> so we're going to flip to Exodus chapter 3. I'm going to walk us through this famous story from Scripture and the reason for, for this story is that it always comes to my mind when I think of times of worship and, and really just how we set up a worship service. I mean, there's many times in Scripture where 
God has an encounter, encounter with somebody, whether it's Gideon, Jeremiah, Isaiah, uh, even Jesus' mother Mary, like we saw just a few weeks ago in our Advent series. And all these encounters take on a similar cadence. Um, before we get into it, though, I want to say a couple notes on Moses. At this point in his life, chapter 3, uh, he doesn't have much going on. He's a little bit of a hothead, we learn, because he, he kills a guy. He kills an Egyptian who <laughs> he saw oppressing uh, and, and beating down one of his countrymen. And he kind of flies off the handle and kills him. And he ends up, at this point, caring for his father-in-law Jethro's sheep. It's really cool, cool names in Scripture, like Jethro. Uh, he, he probably thought his life would turn out a little bit different. And he's not seeing much potential in front of him right now as he's on the side of this mountain. But I'm going to read from verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro. See, told you. Uh, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Now the first thing I want us to get as we read this is simple, but I think it's so important. Uh, Moses comes over with expectation. God appears in this burning bush within a fire that's not burning up, and Moses comes over wanting to see what it's all about. I believe God can use just about anything uh, to spark our interest in him. I mean, of all things, a bush. Cool mascot, God. You picked a good one. <laughs> uh, it's a strange thing. I want to I spend a little time right now, though, in our service, thinking of these type of moments in our own life. Have you had a, a burning bush type moment? Uh, most of you probably have, otherwise you probably wouldn't be here, I'm guessing. Uh, but what was that situation like? What, what was a moment like that? Did God use some, someone in your life? Was it nature that inspired you? Was it just seeing that beautiful summit sign as you're driving <laughs> by? A uh, dream even? Maybe, maybe it's ongoing. Maybe you have these periodically as you're serving in ministry. What gets your heart beating fast for the things of his kingdom. It could be a number of things, caring for students, hospitality, serving in first impressions, building things, being creative. You can get a sense of God. I really think that God can and will use anything to get our attention. Um, for me, the first time, I think, in a roundabout way, that my interest was sparked like this, uh, was when I was 16 years old. I was actually at a party. I was drunk. I was high. And I was looking out a window and I thought, gosh, I guess this is what life's about. You work hard at work or at school. And then when you're off work, you have fun. You, you give all, you're all there too. You party as hard as you can. Squeeze the most out of life in that way. I guess that's what life's about. I guess this is kind of it at 16. 
And then after a moment looking out that same window, by the grace of God, I thought, that's got to be one of the dumbest things that's ever entered my mind. I mean, there's got to be more to life than this. And uh, as I think about that, the sentiment didn't carry much, much expectation for, for what life had to offer. And, uh, you know, I was born in 83, so this would be the, the 90s. And uh, I remember at the time, whether it was Ace Ventura a little bit before that, or Michael Jordan, I think, had his own commercial where they'd walk up like those Buddhist temple steps. Like it'd just be forever. You'd see the giant staircase. And they'd finally get to the top of a mountain, and there'd be some little monk there. And they'd say, what is the meaning of life? And you see my 16-year-old brain, I, I knew that picture. I think I thought of that. And I was just like, there's no way that monk is saying that. That's just silly. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, I stopped going to parties. And I started seeking out people who actually cared about me. Soon after that, someone invited me to church. And 20 years later, I'm speaking to you loonies in, in front of the whole church. So I mean, God works. He does stuff. Uh, <laughs> I, my hope for us, though, is that we don't come to service just going through the motions like I was thinking back then, that we just go to work, we go home, we go to church, maybe watch some football, maybe some Netflix. I'm doing fine. Uh, if we don't come with expectation, I really believe we might miss out on what God has for us. And it's important to note, going back to the scripture, that God, God calls Moses by name. I hope we never forget that we're his children, that he knows us better than we know ourselves. In Psalm 139, it says he created our inmost being. In the Gospels, it says that he knows how many hairs are on each of our heads. God knows your name. It seems simple, but do we live in it? I have to remind myself every day, honestly, that before I'm a minister, before I'm a husband, before I'm a father, I'm God's son. He knows me by name. His spirit lives in us. He loves each one of us. We are men and women of God, capable of dispensing his truth, his goodness, his mercy, bringing heaven to earth pretty much whenever we decide to engage. Now, when, when someone calls your name, though, it's not always a good thing. Uh, and, and Moses, when he heard his name, he probably didn't know for sure uh, what was going to happen. I mean, when the teacher in school called my name and then grabbed me by the ear, that was not a good thing. Uh, <laughs> Moses didn't know it was coming his way, but he still says, and he responds saying, here I am. As we come into this new year and we think about our resolutions, who we want to be as people, I pray that we would say individually to God, here I am. It's so important to cultivate this attitude of the heart. It's how we make ourselves available to worship and to do his work. I'm going to read further here at verse 5. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Now, I actually think it's kind of funny uh, that God is basically saying, get your dang shoes off, man. It's me, the God of all everything. 
get with the program, Moses. I mean, come on, hello, it's me, it's me now. It's not just a bush. <laughs> uh, but seriously, I believe that on, the side, on this side of the cross, if we believe that Jesus dwells in us, that he's always with us, I believe that pretty much anywhere can, and any time can be a time to meet with God, that we can be on holy ground. Uh, now, there may be some theological maneuvering with that, uh, still to be done there, but, uh, but I'm really just saying that Jesus, we know that the curtain was torn in the temple with Jesus, that we can boldly go before the throne of God, knowing that we have access to the Father through Christ. And all walls were broken down between us and the divine through him. I mean, that's, that's what this season is all about, right? That we just walked through. Christmas, that Jesus came to earth as a baby, breaking down the walls between us and the divine. That he's brought a piece of heaven to earth, and now these kingdoms are coexisting, and we're a part of this new kingdom of heaven. It's, it's also good to realize that by invoking the names of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, that God is reminding Moses of all the great stories and the legacy from his ancestors. How great and mighty that, that God is. How long he's been at this. And then it says Moses hid his face because he was afraid. When we come to God and worship and get a glimpse of him, it's completely natural for us to become a little overwhelmed as we realize just how far we've fallen short it's easy to get afraid knowing just how small we are in, in this big universe that God's created. Being in front of an infinite God, seeing how helpless we are while also realizing his infinite power. I hope that when we worship together in service, that we'd get a sense of that same awe and wonder that Moses probably had that day. I think we as a society probably need more of that. I mean, kids are great at it. Uh, this whole Christmas season, uh, when we first lit up the Christmas tree, little Lydia came around the corner and was just like, whoa. And uh, this year, probably not a good parenting move, but uh, we let them watch the Home Alone movies. Lydia's a little young for that, probably. But, uh, but they were really had some awe and wonder over little Kevin being able to set up all these traps flawlessly <laughs> and how... Great, they were executed. Uh, they probably got some ideas they sh shouldn't have got. Um, but the whole awe and wonder thing with kids is great. You can see exactly how it works because, and I, and I think it'd be great for us, because it leads them to then ask more questions. It, it makes them want to know more, and then it leads them to take action um, on the thing that they've learned or been inspired by. Uh, they want to test out what has just put before them in this mysterious way. And I just think, I think that's so, such an important thing when it comes to our faith. I mean, something happens to us as adults. I don't, I don't know why it happens. I don't know when it happens. It might be when we're teenagers or maybe some people just came out of the womb this way, but we, we think we know every, everything. Um, and on behalf of Summit, Summit Church, I just want to say today, we sh let's not act like that. How about that? <laughs> uh, 
I mean, we've had some scientists in this congregation. We have a lot of really smart people. And when I talk to them, every time I get a sense that we don't, they know we don't understand everything. We don't know everything. We don't fully understand how gravity works, the deepest parts of the ocean, what's under Antarctica, ancient aliens. My dad loves that show. He's here today. <laughs> he probably loves that I called him out for that. Uh, but I hate to break it to us today, we don't know everything. But also, living with some awe and wonder, I think, is just more fun. Is that a good sermon point? Uh, it's got to be today. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to keep reading. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Okay, so let me get this straight. God shows up in a burning bush and then tells me, some guy hanging out with Jethro's sheep, <laughs> to go demand that the most powerful person in my world just let all his slaves go. I'm sure that's, he's going to respond really well to that. Let's read on. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be a sign to you that, that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship on this very mountain. I added very, sorry, on this mountain. We can see from this interaction and really the many others throughout the Bible that I mentioned before, that our encounters with God aren't on our terms. Everything doesn't always get set up how we expect burning bush. We don't always get answers like we want. Moses sure doesn't here. These interactions aren't really about us feeling comfortable. I mean, sometimes we want worship in our services to sound a certain way. Uh, you know, Summit runs on volunteers, right? We have, we've had some really good ones. Uh, and we've had professional musicians, some really good amateur musicians that are doing their day job and then come in here and sound in amazing. Uh, sometimes it's, you want the preacher to say what you want him to say, and he may not. Uh, instead of all that, though, uh, Moses here, he isn't given any of those cozy things. Uh, he's given a huge task instead. And I think that if we see ourselves as on God's side, if we, if we want to truly see his, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We have to be willing to come with expectation, have some awe and wonder, saying, here I am. But we also have to be willing to be stretched and to be challenged. See, when we come in contact with that huge God who by his infinite power made the whole universe, of which we're just a small part, that same God whose perfect holiness brings to light our shortcomings, our own sin, our depravity, that same God who knows us each by name and cares about us with an enormous heart 
that would later even lead him to the cross. I mean, tell me honestly, do you think that coming in contact with that God should just make us feel cozy, relaxed, comfortable? Or does it sound more like that a meeting with that huge God might propel us toward helping those who are suffering, oppressed, and downtrodden in our own world? Because in Scripture, it always seems to be the latter. That seems a better picture of our God's heart for the world, or his children, that it's not about us, it's not about what we want. It's, it all, it's about his people, his children, people he cares about. In my time in student ministry, we talk about this idea of the mountaintop experience. And in Exodus 4, God assures Moses, showing him miraculous signs. He turns his staff into a snake, turns his hand leprous, and then changes it back. God says he'll be with Moses when he comes down from the mountain. But sometimes we have these encounters with God and then we go back to life as normal. It's hard to live out our faith after these mountaintop experiences. Uh, we can lose our grip on our mission, and it's easy to do. I strongly believe, though, that we can know we are aligned with God's heart if we're passionate about the same things he's passionate about. If our heart is grieved by the th same things that grieve his. And as we go into 2020, I'd like us to be, to be able to be honest with ourselves just ask, uh, do most of our thoughts, our longings, revolve around self-indulgence and entertainment? Or do they revolve around the things of God's kingdom? Now, hear me right, though. I'm not saying that the Mandalorian or Baby Yoda is evil. That's not what I came here to do. Um, I'm just saying that sometimes it's a difference in approach that leads us to be more intentional. Once again, it's that cultivation of the heart. Maybe sometimes it's about cutting stuff out to be more focused on the things that really matter. Sometimes it's finding ways to utilize our interests, those skills, those passions we already have to open up doors in our relationships, to speak truth and love and grow deeper with the people that God, God's given us to love. Sometimes it's reallocating time to learn about God through our devotions, our times of worship, reallocating time to learn what's going on in the world around us. It can all be a part of worship. Now, some of you might be groaning a little bit right now that, that Dave, I was all in on the awe and wonder thing. That was fun. Uh, burning bush story time was pretty good. Uh, <laughs> but now this is getting a little preachy. Well, that, that's what I'm here to do today. Uh, but there's just one more thing I want to talk about, and, and it's really my favorite part of this whole section of Scripture. God seems okay with our objections, our excuses, our buts, our what-ifs. In fact, Moses' reluctance and excuses go on for another whole chapter after chapter 3, uh, where he whines about not being able to speak good. Um... But I want to ask, like, do you remember, what's the name of God's chosen nation? It was Israel. Israel gets its name from when Jacob headed back to face his brother Esau, who Jacob cheated and stole his inheritance. 
And there, right before he faces Esau, probably nervous, across the river, he spends the night. And mysteriously, all through the night, he wrestles with this angel that turns out to be God himself. And he wrestles him all night. And then at the end of all that, he demands to be blessed. He says, I'm not going to stop until you bless me. And God basically says, well, if you're, if you're going to wrestle me all night and never quit, we're going to have to call you something else. We're not calling you Jacob anymore. Your new name is Israel, which basically means God wrestler. I mean, God named his people the God wrestlers. <laughs> I just think it's awesome. Uh, I think it's safe to say that, that we've been given permission to have objections. He might even enjoy our questioning when he gives us these big tasks. He enjoys our wrestling. In fact, I think they just point to how big and how heaven-sized the plans he's put before us are, how much we need him uh, to do that type of work. Later in Exodus, Moses would come off another mountain, another meeting with God again during another mountaintop experience. This time he would come down with two tablets of the covenant law in his hands. And that would once again help the people of God by not only helping them survive for hundreds of years later, but would also help prepare them to see their need for a savior. And after speaking to the Lord this time, his face is so radiant that people don't know what to do with him as he's coming off the mountain. They're like, dude, your face is glowing. And he's trying to tell him something, but they're like, no, your face though. And just like the bush, Moses was now burning with the light of the Lord. It was a fire that wouldn't burn him up, unlike the fire that led him to kill earlier in his life. Moses was a different man now. And this new fire would give light to generations to come. I hope that as we come together and we hear God's word, we sing songs in our services, we talk about kingdom things, that we'd be able to go out after the service into our families, into our communities, radiating, radiating that, that same light of the Lord, that it would be unmistakable. Because we've seen an amazing God at work. We know we're supported and loved by our family here at Summit that we know there's people we can call at all hours of the evening if we're in trouble, if we need anything. We can know we're loved and supported as we go out to tackle these God-sized problems in our world. And I mean, God's put some doozies in front of us, I think. I'm really proud to be a part of this place as we have partnered with Commission 127 and supporting foster families as we've taking on this uh, East River High School initiative. Uh, we do these trips to Africa, Dominican Republic, um, just all the different service projects we do and, and the ministries that we do here. But also, that's not even to mention the different relationships represented in this room that God's put before us, whether it's our coworkers, our friends. I just, I really think this is Moses type stuff Sometimes it's just a matter of thinking about it that way and realizing uh, what God's put before us. My challenge for us today, though, is simply to lean in and engage here in the next year. I was going to say 
for us to follow after God. I really think it's chase after God. Resolutions are fine, but I'll encourage us to remember what Jesus said the great command was. And we should bring all of our plans before God with that in mind. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. And right after that, Jesus says, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. We have freedom in Christ. He's given us salvation. We didn't have to do anything for it. You could go to heaven today without doing any of the things I've said today. But isn't the life that he breathes into us through this community, through our times in worship, I would hope that that's so rich that we would want to invite people into it, that we'd want to bring the kingdom things that we discuss here out into the world. Keto didn't work for me last year. <laughs> I didn't make it very far. Uh, I didn't do my research. I really didn't think it through. Um, but I did make some progress. I lost a little weight. And uh, all the while, my stomach was satisfied. I just didn't know my brain was starving. But my worry for some of us today would be that, that we, would, we would make a little progress, that we would make some progress in our careers, keep up with the Joneses maybe, uh, that we would work hard, maybe play hard, but later realize that we were spiritually starving. I think we can avoid this if we seek out the one true God saying, here I am, Lord. I know you know my excuses, you know all my imperfections, Still, I'm here to wrestle with you, and I won't stop until I'm blessed. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this awesome privilege just to, to bring your word to my church family. And uh, I pray that in this, uh, the next few minutes and also into the next year, Lord, that we would rally around each other and, and seek you out and just continue uh, to put you first in our lives, giving you the highest place of worth, which is really, that's, that's the definition of worship, is just what is worth, what carries value for us. And, and I truly believe that you need to be the top of that chain. You need to be for the sake of our own families, for the sake of ourselves, and for the sake uh, of the people you've put in front of us. Uh, I know you'll be with us, and I know you'll help us as, as we come off our, our many mountaintop experiences this year. We love you and thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.